thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. I want to stay this morning. We never take a holiday from God because he's everywhere. It doesn't matter whether you're in Canada, the front France, the UK, um, wherever you are, even in Barrow, <laughs> even in Barrow, um, God is with us. So we're going to uh, carry on our series this morning. And uh, you might hear a lot of noise. It's because we've tried to get the fans on to try and create a little bit of movement in the building so that it doesn't get too hot. If, uh, if anyone, Alice, if that door can be open maybe and propped, it might be quite nice. But we'll see. Put a chair in front of it maybe, if you fancy it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Alton Towers um, or any theme park. But Alton Towers, there's two rides that I can really remember and the signs on those rides, one of those rides is the log flume, which apparently doesn't exist anymore, it's not there. No, they've got rid of it, it's the uh, wooden man or whatever it's called, the wicker man I think it's called. But um, the log flume, before you went on the log flume, there was a sign. And it said on this sign, it said, caution, you may get wet. Caution, you may get wet. And after many twists and turns and a few little disappointing hills and a bit of spray in your face, came the very final hill, which at the bottom of it, some people got soaked, some people got a little bit of spray, but you may get wet. There was a little bit of a warning there that there was a possibility you may get wet. I was thinking when Shirley was taking the collection, many of you don't realize that, that uh, Steph's mum on the front here, this dog is a working dog, okay? He usually has his little pink vest on to show that he's a working dog because he's protective of Steph's mum, he's a protector dog. So if Steph's holding the dog, you can stroke it. But if Steph's mum's got the dog and you go near, oh, you will get bitten, okay? Not you may, you will. So if you have a sign, you will get bitten. Maybe we need a t-shirt printing. The second ride I can think of was the River Rapids. Okay, anyone been on the River Rapids? I do remember one young man from camp going on the River Rapids and every ride you went on at Alton Towers, they took photographs and this young man from camp went on it and showed his photo around camp and suffice it to say, he was turning with his back to the camera doing something he shouldn't have been. But anyway, um, the moon was out that day. But anyway, the other ride was the River Rapids and the sign on the River Rapids said this, caution, you will get wet and you may get soaked. There was no doubt about it. On this one ride, it was a definite. You were going to get wet. There was no guarantee of dryness at all. And there was no safe place for the water. It came from all sides, all angles, to get you drenched. So carrying on with our series on rivers and roads, today, my message is, are we prepared to get our feet wet? Because with God, when we follow God, there will be times where we will get wet. And we will have to step into that before God acts. God says you may get wet, but don't let it stop you from stepping into what he has for you. Don't let that fear stop you from stepping into it. So let's read. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 3. We're going to miss a little bit chunk in the middle. 
And we're going to go Joshua 3, verses 1 to 5 in the NIV version. says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I'm going to stop there. Just an example of sometimes when we read something and something else jumps out. I hadn't noticed before where it says, since you have never been this way before. Okay? God is sometimes asking us to go away that we've never been before. God is a God that is mercies and new every morning. Not the same old, same old, but new every morning. But as we read those five verses, you might be thinking, well, what on earth has that got to do with me in Barrow? Okay? It sounds like a lot of religious language. It sounds like there's things in there that I don't even need to understand. Well, let me give you a bit of background. The children of Israel have arrived finally in sight and touching distance of the promised land, the land they had been promised by God, the land flowing with milk and honey, which as the VeggieTales used to say, sounds sticky. But anyway, the land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know England ladies brought home that trophy last week, didn't they? Okay. The men will still sing of 56 years of hurt, however, and probably 57, 58 and counting. Well, the Israelites have been wandering in a desert for 40 years, not quite 56 years of hurt, but 40 years where many have died. Moses, the great leader, never made it. They get to the edge of the River Jordan and over the river, within sight, is all that God has promised them. Within sight. When they get there, there will be still battles to fight. There will be still giants to conquer. There will be still obstacles to overcome. But this is the, the place and the thing that they have been promised, that they've been waiting for, that they've been desperate for. But separating them is the River Jordan. So they camp by the river. And it says in that passage, they stay there for three days. And they're told, watch what the Ark of the Covenant does. Watch what the priests do. And then do and go with it. So they're sat for three days looking at this river that's raging, this problem in front of them, just staring at it going, well, God, we know you've parted rivers and seas before, but what are you going to do this time? For three days, seeing that raging river, that torrent, hearing the noise of the river flowing past them, probably thinking, well, we're here, but we're not here. We're there, but we're not there. For three days, that torrent probably eroded all their confidence. As they saw the river gushing past, they probably thought, there's no chance. If you go on Google and type in crossing the River Jordan, most of the articles come up that tell you about people who've died in the River Jordan. Because at this time of year, it's busy. It's, It's wide. It's dangerous. In fact, in the 1800s, a very competent swimmer decided to swim across it and died, was swept away by the current. This isn't some little stream. 
This isn't some simple, let's have, a, let's have a little paddle. This is dangerous. And they're sat next to it for three days looking at the very thing that they think, oh my days, what are we going to do? But God says, wait. The waiting probably pounded reality into every single Israelite, probably made them more aware than ever before. But also, you could probably hear their doubts over the night fires. You know, as they sat around having their food and their drink, maybe people saying, oh, well, maybe the strong amongst us will manage it. Maybe those that are brave will get there. But how on earth can we cross when we've got babies or with sickly people or with aged, you know, people who can't even walk a few steps? How on earth is that going to happen? Not to mention all our possessions and flocks, the wagons, the carts, the, the animals strapped to things. And I would say as they sat near that river, the word no probably got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Because they just saw the obstacle. So what does God say at the beginning? He says, watch what God is doing and then move. Watch what God is doing and then move. It's easy for us to relate, isn't it, to those emotions and thoughts. I don't know what your personal Jordan River is today. What the thing that is in front of you that stops you from claiming everything that God has promised. The thing that stops you from really, really getting your feet wet. The thing that stops you from claiming that thing that God has said, this is for you. I will never leave you. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. In death, in life. We've sung those words today. Maybe your life feels stalled or stuck. Maybe you're stuck in a place on the wrong side of God's promises. And you read and hear about this life that God promises to the full, this abundance. But you just can't make it out of the wilderness. And Joshua says to them, when we see God move, go. But we need to wait first and we need to watch. You know, what's so special about the Ark of the Covenant? It was a piece of furniture. It was a piece of furniture that was carried around. Well, this is what's special about it. It symbolised God's presence because God inhabited that place on the top of it. It was the sign that God was with them. What was inside the Ark of the Covenant? If I said to you now what was inside the Ark of the Covenant... Would some of you go, that strange thing that comes out in Raids of the Lost Ark and melts people's faces? No, that's not what's in there. If I said to you, what's in the Ark of the Covenant, what would you say? So, the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone, that God himself wrote with his very own finger on top of that mountain. Why were the Ten Commandments given? They were given to show that God longs for relationship with his people. And the way to relationship with his people is to engage and to follow his way. That's what it is, it's to engage and follow his way. Symbol of relationship. What else was in there? Aaron's staff, okay? Aaron's stick, a dead bit of wood. But that dead bit of wood had sprouted leaves and almonds to show God's, God's grace, to show God's power, that God can achieve anything and use anything, even a dead stick, for his glory. So it shows God's relationship. It shows God's power. Last thing. It's a test, isn't it? Manna. A little pot of manna. The food that the Israelites were given to, to live off. A little pot of manna was put in there. What was that reflective of? It was to reflect his provision. That every day God provides enough. That every day God gives what we need. So as they look at this piece of furniture, it's not a piece of furniture. 
It's a symbol of God's relationship and desire to be with us. It's a symbol of God's power and that he can use even the thing that's dead to bring, bring, bring fruit. And a symbol of his provision that he gives enough what we need each day. And also his presence resting on it. All those things. And they watched that knowing that God's presence was there. But it says they had to keep it at a distance. Yeah, we say God is not a God who's distant. God is not a God who says, stay away from me. Other than the fact that we're not holy enough to really get close to him. But through Jesus we can. God says to Joshua, tell them to keep a distance. Why? Well, here's a possible reason. If everybody crowded around it and got really close to it, the people at the back wouldn't be able to see. This was for everyone. This promise was for everybody. It wasn't just for the chosen few at the front. It wasn't just for those people who were like, I'm going to get really close. You know, the people who go to the mosh pits at gigs. You know, the people who want to be right at the front who then faint and miss the whole concert because they've had to be carried out. What's the point? This was for everybody. So I think sometimes one of the reasons for the distance was don't get too close because God is holy. But also the very big distance was we need everybody here to see this. There's thousands and thousands of people. Isn't it great, the baptisms, when we have the baptistry in that middle bit? Because everybody's close, everybody can see. Even at the old building, if you were on the third row backwards, you were, you were probably not seeing much. But this was so, people could see. Why did, why did they want people to see? Because God wanted everybody to see when he moved. He wanted everybody to be able to follow. He wanted everybody to be able to push forward and go, right, we're going. Not to do it on somebody else's say-so. Not to do it because they've been told by one leader, but to do it because they want to see God and they want to move with God, yeah? So do you want to see God and move with God this morning? Don't just do it because I say. Don't just come and, and listen each week and then go away and do nothing. Look for yourself. Because when we watch and we see, we see God move and we go. Or maybe some of us see God move and we go, I don't want to go there. Maybe we're not willing to give up some of the things that maybe we, want to, we need to give up in order to be able to see God's full provision. But they had to wait three days. Who likes waiting? No? No one? Roz does. She always makes me wait, so she must love it. That's right, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, oh, we can leave in 20 minutes. No, Roz, we need to go now. Oh, we don't need to go. Oh, we need to go now. So, yeah, I think Ros likes waiting. Not, I don't think any of us like waiting, do we? None of us like waiting at all. Especially grooms on wedding days, yeah? Grooms on wedding days. We went to a wedding in Africa, and I was asked to take it. So we said to them in Uganda, what time do you want us to get there? They said, oh, about half past 12. So we had two fairly young children at that time. So we turned about half past 12. The groom didn't arrive till 2 o'clock. Some of you know this, don't you? Some of you are like, yep, we know this. Two o'clock, the bride turned up about half, three, four. Yeah. Can you imagine keeping two children entertained in the middle of nothing all my days? They were still setting everything up. Waiting. We don't like waiting, but the Israelites were told, wait for three days. Do you know, watching and waiting is crucial. Don't rush ahead of God. Wait till he moves and go. If we rush ahead of God then we're not gonna, we're gonna risk stepping out of his protection, stepping out of his promise and stepping out of his faithfulness. 
So the first instruction comes in this passage, and this is an instruction to the Israelites. It was this, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Do we want to see amazing things? Put your hand up. No, we don't like waiting. Who wants to see amazing things? Well, there's still some people who don't put their hands up. Who are you? I'll, I'll ask again. Who wants to see amazing things? See, see, now I go back to the thing of don't just do it because Johnny said to do it. I think we all admit we want to see amazing things. We don't want to lift a finger. But we want to see amazing things. Well, what's the promise of God? Consecrate yourself. So you need to know what consecrate yourself means. It means two things. There's two parts to it. First part, get right with God. Be holy because I'm holy. So if God doesn't like it, don't do it. <laughs> Go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for that past. I can't change it, but I want a future with you. That's the first step of consecration. Get right with God. The God that is God has promised them this land, has promised them all this stuff. Get right with him. There's the first part. The second part, I think we all knew that first part, didn't we? Maybe. Consecrate means get right with God. Repent, if you like, is the old-fashioned word. Just say sorry for the times we've let him down. Do you know what? He loves us. And he wraps his arms around us and he says, come here, because he's a good dad. First part, consecrate yourself, get right with God. The second part, we perhaps don't realise quite as much. It means to put yourself on spiritual alert or to get watching, to see God at work. So consecration in the Old Testament involved things like washing your clothes. Presumably they didn't do it all the time. <laughs> making sure the clothes, making sure the outside was clean. It meant abstaining from sex for a time so that they could focus on God. It meant changing their work schedule and other things. That was consecration. Here's a simpler way to look at it. To deliberately interrupt good and normal functions in life in order to be spiritually alert. Does that make sense? To deliberately stop some of the things we do every day in order to be on spiritual alert. Another way of saying it. I will set aside the typical and put my spirit ready to see where God is working around me so that I can join him. Set aside the typical. Let me ask you, what's typical? What's a typical day for you? As I ask that question, you can think about that and you know what your day consists of. It might be work, it might be house stuff, it might be you know, playing on a games console, it might be watching Netflix for too long, it, that's me, sorry. It might, be, it might be watching the football, that's typical, yeah? Eating, breakfast, lunch, tea, for some people, 11s is, 2 o'clock is, extra meals, yeah? Maybe that's typical, yeah? Some of you are looking at me, I think you know where I'm heading, that's why you're not willing to really say this. But how many of us say this, okay? This is me challenging me too, okay? Oh, I haven't read my Bible this week, I just haven't had time. Anyone willing to admit they've said that this week? Hmm? Oh, here's another one. Oh, I can't do church or connect group or prayer group, insert whatever group you go to, because I've just been so busy and I'm so tired, insert reason here. Any of us said that? Last one. Somebody said to me, um, when we started coming back to church after the pandemic, somebody said, well, you know, I quite like watching it on the television. I quite like being 
We make pancakes now. So pancakes and pajamas, that's great. Okay. <laughs> this isn't a guilt trip, because I'm challenging me too. But if consecrating ourselves means we see amazing things, how many of us want to see amazing things? We all put our hand up. How many of us then want to consecrate ourselves? It should be the same. But it means stopping the typical. For, for even some time of each day, to stop that busyness, to be still and know that he's God, to say, actually, I'm going to put that down. I'm going to pause Netflix for a time. I'm going to not do that. I'm going to go for a walk with God. I'm going to pray as I go. I'm going to listen to a podcast and listen to what God's going to say. Because how do we expect to see God move and know where he wants us to follow when we don't set aside the typical and watch? Some people say, I, I don't hear God speak. Well, maybe we're not listening. Maybe we're not watching. If we don't deliberately interrupt the good and the normal functions, we will not see those amazing things. So there's the challenge. Stop the typical for a moment each day. Make that moment get longer as you go. Find somebody to stop with. Find somebody to interrupt the typical with. Why? Because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. There's a promise. It's not just a command, it's a promise. Because God says, you know, do this and this will be incredible. You will see me move and you will come with me. God was about to do amazing things among them. They didn't want to miss it by being involved in things that they could do at other times. Do we want to miss out on God? How much must we be missing out on both as a church and personally because we're not all consecrating ourselves, getting right with God and stopping the typical I'm going to carry on. The end of the passage from Joshua chapter 11 to verse 17 says this. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. So the ark will go into the river when it moves. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So God will go first, but you will get wet. You're not going to be, you're going to be impacted. You're going to be affected. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Notice that little piece of information. The Jordan is at flood stage. This isn't typical. This is scary. This wasn't going to be easy it can reach speeds of 40 miles an hour in its flood stages. 40 miles an hour, faster than a car on Salt House Road. It went from being two to three, four foot deep to being up to 12 foot deep and 100 feet across. Also, it was bordered by twisty vines and branches that could easily make you trip and lose your footing. It wasn't just a simple slope down to the water. Even getting in there was difficult. There was all sorts of excuses to stop you from doing it. All sorts of reasons why we shouldn't put our feet in that river. All sorts of reasons why we shouldn't step out. But there was one big reason why they should. In fact, two. One, God was going first. And secondly, the promised land was on the other side. The promised land, that land that they'd been promised that was going to be amazing. Come on in, it's lovely. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> it was dangerous. Even more so carrying a big piece of furniture that could be dropped and daren't be lost in the water. 
Let's carry on. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. Remember that little bit. It piled up in a heap. It stopped flowing a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. Amazing. Stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. You will get wet or you may get wet, but you need to step out because God has gone first. And when God's in it, he stops other things. But he expects you to get there first, in the water before he dries it up. The 12 man carrying the ark step in and the water stops upstream. Now, some of us hear this in our modern ears and go, that couldn't happen. That couldn't happen. Well, if we believe God is the God who is amazing, yes, it can happen. Because why would, if it's just something that could happen, it's not God. Is it? So when we read something and go, Struggle with that. But you know what? God is bigger than your tiny imagination and mine. So when we read it, know that this was, this was the children of Israel. This is their history. The 12 men carrying the ark, stepping in the water stops upstream. I used to think that it was almost instantly dry ground. Anyone else with me? Anyone else with me? I used to think that they stepped into the water. Maybe it's got a little bit shallow and then it was dry. Okay. Let's look at some of the facts very quickly. It stops flowing. They step into this river that's raging, traveling at 40 miles an hour with a big piece of furniture that could be 10 to 12 feet deep. They step into it and start stepping into it and God stops the water 19 miles away. Okay? Now, I'm not sure if the physics of water work the same as the physics of a car, but... If you work out that it's traveling at 40 miles an hour and it stops 19 miles away, it's just under half an hour before that effect is seen where they've stood. It's not, woo! They are standing in this water that's raging and it might take 28, 29 minutes before they see the impact. Hold on to that thought for a moment. God has said, when you see me move, go, I'll look after you. They step into this water, they're expecting to see what they saw with Moses and his staff, and yet the water keeps coming for at least another 20, 25, 28. I think it's actually 28 and a bit minutes. They had to step out, and then they had to stand still. Step out, stand still, while the water raged around them. Scary, that, isn't it? I, I, I read that and I'm just like, Mind blown. I'm sure they would have loved to repeat the Moses trick. God parted it, then we moved. But that was when they were running away from something. The danger was behind them. God needed to show them that they could trust him. So they were running away. God parted it, then they moved. This time, God's saying, this is ahead of you. If you step into it, you can have it. 
but I want you to show your faithfulness. I want you to show that you trust me. I want you to show that you'll follow that instruction to step out and stand still. God has asked them to move. Why did he do it? Because it wasn't their action that did anything. Yeah? It wasn't their activity. It wasn't their feet. They didn't have special shoes on that soaked up all the water. They didn't have magic feet that went, look at me. I've dried up the Jordan. No, they had to stand still and wait because it was waiting on God to do it. It was God that was active. It was God that did the stuff. It wasn't to do with them. It was the waiting on God's power. It was the waiting on God's presence that made all the difference. All the time they stood still getting wet and uncomfortable. Do you know when we step out for God, we may get wet and we may feel uncomfortable. But if it's of God and he's gone first, then we can trust that he will do great things. He will do amazing things. While those people were stood there, the rest of the people were stood on the shore watching. There might have been some of them going, ah, look at them, what a bunch of muppets. For 20 minutes stood as the water's coming in and trying to keep the balance. There might have been some who were soldiers who were, who, were, who were scared. Maybe they were thinking, well, God hasn't done it this time. Maybe they started doubting Joshua, their leader. Maybe they started doubting him. The men carrying the ark could have stepped back out feeling foolish and thinking they'd made a total mistake. They could have got out of the water and gone, okay, clearly not worked this time. But they stepped out, they stood still, and they waited on God. Psalm 114 was written as a thanksgiving based on what happened here. Verses 3 to 8 in the message version says this. The sea took one look and ran the other way. The river Jordan turned around and ran off. The mountains turned playful and skipped like rams. The hills frolicked like spring lambs. What's wrong with you, sea, that you ran away? And you, River Jordan, that you turned and ran off? And mountains, why did you skip like rams and you hills frolic like spring lambs? Tremble earth. Why? You're in the Lord's presence. In the presence of Jacob's God. He turned the rock into a pool of cooled water, turned flint into fresh spring water. What does that psalm celebrate? The presence of God. And the presence of God can change everything. The presence of God can make the mountains skip and frolic like lambs. The presence of God can dry up a river that's flowing at 40 miles an hour. The presence of God can get a load of people across a river that's dangerous into his promise. But God's presence asks that we wait on it and that we step into it. So as we finish this morning, and some of you love that bit, don't you? That's the favourite thing that I say every week. As we finish this morning, I have a few questions that I've been asking as I read about this encounter on this river with the presence of God. Because the people stepped into their promise. Yes, there were still battles to fight, but they stepped into it. Firstly, here's the first question. I'm asking this myself, but I want you to ask yourself. Firstly, am I consecrating myself in part of every day? Setting aside the usual or the typical to focus on God. Am I? It's really good to write some of this stuff down so you go away and ponder it. Second question I want to ask myself and ask you, what is the Jordan that I'm currently camped beside? The thing that is in the way of God's promise. What is the thing that is obstructing me stepping into God's promise? 
whether that's to get away from addiction, whether that's to get away, whether it's to get into a situation that I believe God has got for me. What is the Jordan that I'm looking at thinking, I don't want to step into that. I don't want to step into that. I don't want to go where God's asking me to go. Am I willing to step into it and wait? Even if I get wet and uncomfortable, even if it's awkward for a time and may look like my waiting isn't fruitful. Sometimes that's the worst thing. Sometimes we wait and we think, oh, well, I'll turn back. When we go for prayer at the end, we should be waiting on God. It shouldn't be a little prayer and a pat on the back and off you go. We need to wait and say, God, fill me. Keep filling me. Because in the waiting, God does more. God does more. Are we willing to push through the discomfort to keep waiting and watching? Third question, how are we seeking and finding God's presence? I don't mean coming to church, because obviously we pray that God's presence is known here. But how are you doing it in your day to day? What are you doing to seek God's presence? Because the Israelites knew it wasn't just going to happen. They had to consecrate themselves. They had to wait and watch. What are we doing? Don't be scared of stepping out into the river if God is on the move. Because he will lift you up and uphold you. He will be the one that keeps your feet sure. He will be the one that when we watch and wait and he moves, we can be sure of. So, practice his presence. Consecrate yourself starting today. Why? Because then from tomorrow onwards, God will do amazing things with you and through you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Just going to invite the band forwards. We are going to just wait. I'm just going to ask the prayer team to be stood at the back. So the prayer team are going to be at the back. They're in pairs. We often ask people to go for prayer if they've really been challenged. Maybe this morning it's a case of you want to make that stand to say, I'm consecrating myself. Maybe people in the prayer team will pray for each other this morning. They're not special. They're just used by God and they've, they've stepped up and stepped out. But as you go for prayer, wait. Prayer team, as you pray for people, wait. Listen to God. But maybe even stepping up to go for prayer is your River Jordan. Maybe that's the thing that's stopping you really, really knowing God's presence. Maybe you sit there every week and think, I'd like to, but I think I don't want people to look at me. Think of those guys with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of that river for 25 minutes, 28 minutes, with everybody else staring on to see what God's going to do. Don't let stepping up be your river Jordan. Don't let walking to the back of this room be the thing that stops you from experiencing God's presence today. And when we have his presence, we see his power. We see his love and we see his provision. I'm going to pray. If at any point in the next 15, 20 minutes you want to go and receive prayer, go. Don't let me ask again unless I feel God saying I need to. But don't wait too long, because often then we change our minds. So Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that even a story from thousands of years ago 
can speak to us today. And God, I pray that each one of us will consecrate ourselves, that we will make ourselves right with you by coming to you in repentance, but that also we will set aside the typical, that we will stop making excuses and that we will want to live each day watching where you're moving and following you. Father God, we want to leave behind the wilderness of our lives. We want to leave behind that past that has just destroyed and eaten away at everything. And it might mean more than stepping up for prayer this morning, but it might mean starting today as you mean to go on. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will just wipe away the past of people in this room so that they can step forward into new life, make them that new creation with a heart of flesh. I thank you that Jesus died so I could be forgiven. I thank you that he rose again so I know that my sin and my, my death will not have the last word. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us that life to the full as we live here today. In Jesus' name, amen.